millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Ecosystem with Steve Stackler. It's basically web analytics for the physical world. Mm-hmm. That is just massive. In the digital world, we've had that for 15 years. In the physical world, we haven't, and half of digital engagements on a mobile phone now. And then we are seeing billions of interactions um, with locations we track per month. You can see in 2016, they've set aside budget going into the year, and we're just seeing the starter deals get way higher. That's why it's taking off. But I know we're personally engaged with eight of the top 10 financial institutions in the country. So welcome to the fourth episode of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beco System. My name is Steve Statler of Statler Consulting, and we are in San Diego. We're about a mile away from the beach, and I am at the headquarters of Gimbal with Jeff Russakow, who is the CEO of Gimbal. But thanks for having us on your program. Yeah, uh, well, we're really excited, and uh, we're doing this in partnership with Proxbook, uh, and the idea is we want to give people the opportunity to hear from the leaders of uh, the companies that are at the forefront of proximity and location technology. Gimbal, a very significant company in that space. If we think about one of the first national deployments of beacons, obviously Apple stores nationwide, those are Gimbal beacons. You guys have been in the Super Bowl at least twice uh, in many, many different sports. There you go. Um, so uh, South by Southwest, Citibank, so we'll go back and talk about a lot of these things, but uh, it's a great to have an opportunity to talk to someone who's right at the center of this. Glad to be here. Maybe we should kick off and you can just explain for people that are new to the Beacon ecosystem, mm-hmm. who are Gimbal and, and what do you do? Yeah, so Gimbal's a spin-out from Qualcomm, so it's actually been around in its scale for, for quite a while in the space and had that advantage head start coming out of a, a large fortune company in terms of the technology. Um, we're the leading platform for location and proximity, and by that there's a few things. So first, we're the most advanced geofencer, and so I know that we're going to be talking a lot about beacons, but 
we really focus on places in general. And so we are by far the most advanced provider of geofencing in terms of polygonal shapes, which make them more accurate, but um, very energy efficient. So our geofences are on all the time uh, in the background and therefore have just a far superior ability to, to see when people enter locales. And then we are uh, by far the leader as well in, in volume and in technology in terms of beacons and proximity outdoors and indoors. Uh, above that, we offer a much more advanced enterprise scale platform. When you're managing 10 or 30 or 100,000 places rather than just a few, there's actually something to having one person and one desktop in one place corporate be able to actually manage all that so that people in all the venues don't need to worry about it. Um, we have analytics capabilities over it. And then uh, in the last six months with the acquisition of a company called Fidget, we've integrated we have a really rich experiences engine, which makes it possible to create all kinds of great mobile immersive experiences for consumers over locations. So I think those would be some of the areas. And then we clearly have a lot of reach because we're unique in that we um, are partnered with a very large number of uh, top 100 mobile publishers, which means that we are able to interact with hundreds of millions of, of users uh, and extend, expand our reach. And what do you mean by a publisher? Uh, like a Shazam might be one good public one I can share. So here, here's the issue: if you if you do uh, if you're serving enterprise as we all are in the space, uh, and you are in the app of that enterprise, Citibank or a leading hotel chain or a restaurant chain, um, there still will only be some minority of people who walk into your restaurant or hotel or bank that have your app, and so you can create this amazing experience for them. But what about the rest? So. The way we reach them is by partnering with a lot of top mobile publishers that are on most people's apps, like Shazam would just be a great example, or uh, a FanDuel, or many others that we're in. Um, you have the way to still be able to reach out to that phone. You can show up as a notification. Um, it can be something they can tap and then open up a more immersive experience. But now you have some way to get 60, 70, 80% of the people that come into your hotel lobby, um, even if it's not as rich as fully checking you in. Um, and then you can use that to serve them as well, and you can also use that to actually give them reasons to download your app to get that better, more immersive experience. So we've seen that that's been one of the most strategic things in the space is how do you get on every device, not every mobile device, every wearable, to basically reach hundreds of millions of people and not be dependent on the reach of any one particular enterprise's app. Yeah, that's really key, isn't it? Because um, generally speaking, certainly in the past, you had to have an app that had your APIs in it in order for beacons to be relevant. Um, and I think people have started off thinking about this pretty simplistically. You have an app, you have a beacon, and someone, maybe it's the Macy's app, and they're just kind of thinking about what they're doing. But it actually gets a little more complicated than that. And there's lots of different kinds of players in this space. And I think you guys have really been at the forefront of not just kind of selling some beacons, but trying to build networks of... Uh... Yeah, I think we've taken a broader approach, um, and neither good or bad, just the way we view the market. I think when I speak, when I think of the beacon community, it's mostly we have providers that are providing beacons and therefore proximity, and um, they've been primarily in just one vertical, uh, retail or subsets of retail, like department stores or um, grocery stores or um, you know malls or just specific niches within a retail and their primary business model has been an advertising or a marketplace model only. Um, we've approached a little bit differently in that we're still mostly consumer focused. We don't do a lot of industrial internet of things. 
But um, we realized that just as there's one internet, there's not a separate internet for retail versus sports versus hospitality versus travel. There should just be one physical web, and you need to basically be present in, in all of those verticals. So we've always been very broad across retail, hospitality, travel, restaurants, sports, movies. We try to be kind of everywhere in the consumer uh, life, and that's why we're also geofencing as well as beacons. And then from a user experience point of view, it shouldn't be just coupons. Hit a bubble, get a coupon. Especially the minute you get outside retail, almost all experiences are experiences, right? Greet me at the restaurant, pop up a menu, order my coffee when I walk in automatically, make the movie theater experience of the game more useful, or check me at the hotel. These things are not usually an advertisement. So you need to basically be experiential and be able to really serve all the different ways an enterprise wants to interact with a consumer and not just do the advertising part. So we've definitely had the, uh, a broader profile in terms of what we're doing and you know, a, a broader business model as a result. Let's talk about some of the experiences that you're enabling so people get, get to grips with this and then maybe we can pry apart some more of who the stakeholders are. But let's yeah. look at some use cases first. And like Citibank, you just um, had an announcement with them. Yes. What are you doing with that bank? You know, they're, um, we're finding right now not just that bank, but in general, retail branches are trying to uh, really reimagine the entire experience of the user. Uh, but in the case of Citibank, they're putting in over 30 beacons per um, uh, store. They're also geofencing the stores. And they really are doing a, a variety of different use cases. But if I were to give you maybe two or three most simple ones, the first, which just got pressed, which is a very fun one, is um, opening the ATM door uh, as you approach. And to be honest, I never would have thought that would be the first thing that, that would come out of the, their mouth is the first thing they wanted to do. Um, but it, I guess it kind of makes sense. At least on the East Coast where it's cold, you've got glass lobbies around the ATMs, and there's a door, and usually you have to pull out your wallet or your or card and tap it to unlock it. People don't like to, to do that. It's cold outside. There's kind of people right there. They don't feel secure. So, um, so the first thing they wanted to do was literally have, as you step up to the door, the ability to unlock the ATM lobby door. And you know, for us, it was a fun one because um, by virtue of the fact that Citibank is putting you into their app and they have tens of millions of users of their app, from a security point of view, you really have to demonstrate that as an industry, certainly we've arrived at an enterprise banking level class of security to be able to do that because you're not only in their secure app, you're unlocking a bank door. Yes, it's an ATM lobby door. It's still a bank door that's unlocking as you approach. Um, other use cases for them, recognizing when high net worth uh, individuals come in. So they might not actually do anything to your phone directly uh, at all, but just if Mr. Jones uh, comes in and he's a, a large customer, then it might just alert a, a private banker that Mr. Jones is coming in and he should uh, greet him at the door and you'll reconnect. But in general, retail banking is starting to move toward, more towards being Wi-Fi and small business hub kind of places and reimagine those kind of things. Other use cases for banks is as people are starting to try and compete for your uh, payment, you know, different e-wallet and, and loyalty cards to actually prompt people to use this form of loyalty card or that payment as they approach a point of sale. You know, hey, you forgot to use your such and such uh, loyalty card. Uh, so this is actually out of the branch. I've got the Citibank app. The Citibank app might remind me when I'm at a certain, I'm in Bloomingdale's that I should use their form of tender, something like that. Exactly. And would that be triggered by a beacon or a geofence? It could be I'm... either, depending on what makes sense. And okay. If you're looking for proximity very close to a point of sale, it might be a beacon. 
but you could, in some cases, use a geofence and dwell time if you, you wanted to. For example, you might be at a PJ golfing event, right, and you're outdoors under the tent. There might not be any peak in there at all. And you guys have done a lot of events, haven't you? This, we talked about the Super Bowl, but South by Southwest, and maybe you could talk about some of the use cases. Why, yeah. why do people yeah, need Yeah, I, I apologize. I went deep yeah. on banks. I'll, I'll yeah. give you just maybe a, a broader, a quick snapshot of a bunch of uh, use cases. Yeah. And then I, I realized we also got away, my apologies, from your question about who are the different segments using technology. We'll come back to that. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So several things. So there's thousands of use cases, but if I were to first generalize before we get in any vertical, there's really three flavors. The first is a data or know thy customer. Mm-hmm. Amazon knows every person that hits their website, whether they buy anything or not. If I am a retailer or a department store, 70% of the people that walk through my store, I have no idea who they are or what they looked at, whether they bought something or not. You know, if I'm a billboard, I don't know who goes by my billboard every day. So physical venues do, are at a massive disadvantage just knowing who their customers are. There's a whole thematic set of use cases, which is really just the ability to know who's walking into my venue, who's my customer, how long were they there, what did they look at. This woman went into this department store, was there for 31 minutes, and was in the children's section for five, and then went to the cosmetics counter, was in front of this rack for three. It's basically web, it's web analytics for the physical world. Mm-hmm. That is just massive. In the digital world, we've had that for 15 years. In the physical world, we haven't, and half of digital engagement's on a mobile phone now. So if I'm a marketer, just knowing who my customers are, that data stream got cut off as everyone went outside into the light again. So data, data, data. Know that customer. The second thing is experiences. Making mobile apps truly mobile. We all say that the stuff on our phone is a mobile app, but what we've really done is taken a PC-like app and shrunk it down onto a nice form factor that you can carry around with you, but it's not really mobile. My department, my, my drugstore app doesn't pop open when I walk through the door and say, hey, you're inside here, and here's your list of shopping items, and here's your prescriptions, and oh, you're on all 12 and you need Band-Aids. My coffee does not, uh, uh, shop does not automatically take my order as I walk through the door. So mobile apps have not really been mobile because they're not location and proximity aware. So there's just a whole range of things that you can do that's more of the check me into the hotel automatically or unlock the door as I approach, which are making mobile apps mobile, and that's experiential. Mm-hmm. And then the third and final then definitely gets more into the world of loyalty and offers and ad tech and things where you may be targeting folks with some kind of a specific offer uh, based on what they're approaching or coming up to. So you're really seeing all three themes, Mm -hmm. and I would go so far as to say that the adoption order for most enterprises has been in that order. Hmm. Know your customers are first, you know, without even interacting with them, and get smart. Create really compelling experiences where adoption is going to be very high. Who wants to wait in line for five minutes for coffee every morning, you know, their whole life? So the adoption rate, the delight is high. And then as you get to know the customer and their habits better, then they start to move to locations and offers. And that's another reason why people have jumped all the way to advertising as their first model may have jumped the market and the customer adoption uh, and the consumer adoption cycle by going to that very limited end use case, which is the hardest use case to, to do. In terms of examples, within retail, knowing who's going through, what they're looking at, targeting at a product level, hey, you've been in front of the Tommy Bahama rack specifically for for five minutes, it might be something you're interested in, popping up product information, service information, getting service personnel to come to you because there's very few people on the floor in most retail environments, so I want the orange apron Home Depot to show up because I can't figure this out. And then also as you're approaching point of sale to remind people to use their loyalty or their payment cards, things like that. 
QSR or any form of you know coffee or food, uh, everyone's moving. The QSR, just to spell that. I'm out. sorry, quick service retail. Right. So if you're thinking about anything from you know Dunkin' Donuts to Burger King to mm-hmm. uh, you know whatever it might be, um, they're all about speed, and they're all moving to order ahead mobile apps, and their biggest issue is making that work. So we've started to see a whole wave of people where hey, you can order your coffee ahead of time, and you're going to be there in five or seven minutes. But then you get caught in traffic for a half hour and the coffee's cold. So how do you actually track the person and see when they're actually a quarter mile away to pour the coffee hot? So every form of order ahead or where people are picking stuff up, the service operations breaks if you don't actually track them. Entertainment venues, sports, movies, etc., just they're naturally immersive experiential things. So anything you do to make the game and the, you know, the, the stadium more enjoyable, the museum more enjoyable hospitality, greeting people as they're coming into your resort or your hotel. Those things are just popping like crazy. And how how can you make a football game more enjoyable with beacons? Well, if in the case of a a stadium or or a venue, there's all kinds of stuff that they love to do. First, if you know where people are sitting, you can target them with things. Letting them know where their nearest merchandising is, where's the shortest line for hot dogs. Helping them think about where to go after the game in terms of what bars or restaurants or things might be outside. But some of those things I don't really need beacons for, right? I mean, do I need a beacon to know where the shortest line is? Where to well, get to help me to help yeah. me wayfind or maybe just find the thing closest to me or, hey, this is just okay. around the corner. And maybe in some cases you surprise people and upgrade their seats. You may let them know that a certain player is in a certain location near them doing autographs or mascots. So they tend to be more fun and experiential a lot of um, places have like kid zones or something like that before the game and different areas as you come into the commissary. So there, there are a lot of things that they like to do, which is really just enhancing the personalization of the, the game or the match or actually the venue that you're, you're actually in um, to make it more enjoyable. And actually, sports has been the earliest adopter of this stuff. Yes. You know, and that's part of the reason why Gimbal's so big in, in, in sporting. You know, we're in pretty much all Major League Baseball and football and uh, quite a bit of basketball, hockey, and other things. So they were actually the fastest adopters of this technology because they get that it's all about the experience while you're, uh, while you're at the game. That makes sense. Yeah. And what about uh, conventions and th- things like South by Southwest? Yeah. What, what does a beacon give me at a convention or a South by Southwest? Uh, it gives you all kinds of things. The most important thing, so in our case, we integrate with players like EventBase, which are usually the app associated with that uh, event like South by Southwest. So first, just the ability for people to find each other or wayfind. So as people start to notice when they go to South by Southwest or CES or whatever it might be, you can see where somebody else is and actually wayfind your way to that person. So given that the primary reason people go to conferences is to network, the ability to find each other among 10 or 20,000 people at all times is actually a very important use case. And then the second thing is capturing people who come by. So you know, there's been years where everyone barcode scans you as you come into their vendor booth just mm-hmm. to capture your information. Well, if you can automatically capture a person as they walk in because they're being tracked you know, from a, a name badge point of view, then your first interaction doesn't need to be kind of objectifying them and barcode scanning them. You can begin by talking about what your company does. Yeah. But once again, in the case of a South by Southwest, you can also do fun things, not only the conference, but you've got a whole city with 1,500 beacons. You can do beer crawls and sponsorships. It's a very fun, fun venue. But we've been doing a lot of event-based uh, types of things, whether it be South by Southwest or a Dreamforce or a, you know Tribeca Film Festival. There's a lot of event and conference-like 
venues where this is extremely useful, where you're basically tracking people's interactions or bringing them together. So let's talk a little bit about where the market is moving the fastest, because there's a bunch of different players in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, the interview number three is with Proxima. And so they do a lot of -of out-of-home advertising. Mm -hmm. So they've been talking about the advertisers and you've got the venue yeah. owners. Do, do you want to just do a quick recap on who, who, yeah, who are all the players, players and yeah. where they're adopting? So I, I would put it into four or five buckets. One bucket I would just refer as enterprises. And by that, I mean companies that have uh, an app or an audience and places. You know, I'm a hotel chain. I'm a restaurant train. I'm a, a coffee chain. Uh, so in their case, their first thing they're trying to do is just have their mobile apps come mobile and be interact with their folks in the venues. A second group is actually mobile publishers. So you can think of them as they have people, but they don't have places. So I am Shazam, for example, or a sports app or a weather app. In their case, what they're interested in doing is a few things. They would like to have location attribution, right? Just they're worth more. They're advertising worth more if they can just add location attribution to to, uh, their inventory when they're doing an ad unit. And they can also create unique user experiences and increase the engagement on their app. So they're very interested just in improving their user acquisition and engagement where proximity is relevant. You've got a third group, which is really more physical networks. And out-of-home advertisers are a great example. They're the opposite of the publisher. They have places. They don't have people. They have no idea who walks by their billboard on Fifth Avenue every day. So they're basically interested in actually finally getting better Comscore Nielsen-like data attribution about who their audience is to help them monetize their existing business and do a better job of that, even as it is today, and then, of course, moving into digital signage and other other screens. And then you've got, I'll just call them brands, brands and the agencies who love them. If I am Nestle Ice Cream or Kraft Heinz or Unilever, I spend half of my budget on in-store merchandising, but forget about media for a second. Um, I have no direct relationship to my consumer. I have no physical venue. How do I basically have a direct relationship with people where I let them know, hey, there's an ice cream case here in this store and it's a hot day. So, um, so if I am most of those players, I really want to have some way to finally get a direct relationship through somebody's app to the user and to the venue to draw them in. So if I am beer and spirits and I'm interested in people in bars, if I'm clothing, interested in people as they're in a department store, if I am food of a CPG products in a grocery store, this has been a powerfully latent need. And then the last group you would have that we serve are developers. So there's we have over 30,000 people who are downloaded and are working with our, our system and who are coming up with all kinds of use cases every day and just need a platform to imagine anything from campus commissaries to parking garages to inventory systems to, to transportation. So you threw out a great number there, 30,000 yeah. developers. That's, yes. I think this is really useful for people looking at this ecosystem and trying to get a sense of what stage is it at. So we've got a bunch of developers. Mm-hmm. How, how big is Gimbal by other metrics? Yeah, actually, you, you, caught, you caught me putting out a number there and the, someone in behind the camera is like scowling at me now. But we've tried <laughs> to avoid giving out a lot of specific numbers, but I, I will give you some orders of magnitude, yeah. a few things. So... At this point, the thing that we most would say we'd want to measure is how big is the consumer audience that we're enabling enterprises and brands to interact with. I'll just say it's in the hundreds of millions, which is significant, you know, particularly for the size of, say, U.S. or North America. 
So hundreds of millions of people have got apps that have Beacon APIs in them. They may or may not actually be triggering against those beacons, but we know that there's yeah, sorry, I would hundreds say, sorry, of millions. It's our SDK yeah. is for, as opposed to API, but yes. We, we, we are embedded within some enterprise or brand's app on several hundreds of millions of people's phones yeah. uh, or devices. And then we are seeing billions of interactions uh, with them with locations we track per month. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that order of magnitude. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of locations, I, I, I'm not at liberty to say how many locations we track because that's really our, we just track what our enterprises, customers wish us to. But what I will say in our case is we track a lot of geofences as well as a lot of beacons. So we know that we're a very significant share of the total beacon market, but we also have a very significant um, geofencing footprint. And um, the reason why I mentioned both is you want to track people in places and mm-hmm. not need to worry about whether it's a beacon or a Wi-Fi or a cell tower or a GPS. You just want to be able Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'll say places. There is a general trend where most customers will geofence first and beacon second. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, until I master who's going in and out of my building, I'm not going to go to the more advanced use case of who's going in and out of the children's department or to mm-hmm. cashier 12. The second thing is there's no hardware with geofences. So what we will typically see is you know that bank or whoever will say, please geofence all one or 2,000 of my branches, and that's a file in five minutes. You know, the next day, it's done. And then they'll start beaconing maybe the first 100 and start getting smart about those use cases. But I think in general, that's the current state of the, the market, which is people are in full adoption, you know, rushing toward... Mm-hmm. Um, more advanced in uh, geofencing to get building level accuracy and they're all over that and then they're maybe beaconing the first 10% of their hotel chain or whatever and mastering that additional 20 use cases and how to look at the analytics and think about it mm-hmm. um, and then now through the next couple of years are rolling out. So 2014-15 they're piloting. You can see in 2016 they've set aside budget going into the year and we're just seeing the starter deals get way higher and much more substantial initial deals and follow-on deals a quarter or two later. Because in 2016, people become educated enough about this stuff. They put the money aside mm-hmm. to make it a budgeted item. And so that's why it's taking off. But it's going in that order. And would you say Jeffrey Moore's model, are we in the chasm now? Yeah, in terms of, you know, and so in terms of jumping the chasm from early adopters to mainstream, I, I would say geofencing, including our form of more advanced geofencing, has already jumped the chasm for sure. Mm-hmm. And then with beacons, I think we are just, we've just skipped 
from the leaders across the chasm to the front edge of yeah. uh, mainstream. And so I think uh, at this point you're seeing in most hotel chains, you know, large ones, most most large retailers, most large entertainment venues are now beaconizing, uh, if you will. And, but they're probably rolling out the first 10 to 20 percent of their locales here in 2016. Well, if, if we look at different ind- industries and not holding you to specifics, but generally speaking, what proportion of retailers do you think are deploying beacons at the moment? Market information in this market is still early. I mean, I think you see the same reports that we've seen from third-party sources that are not ours either. So we all see the same stuff about 85% of the top 100 retailers are adopting beacons here in this year. What we don't know is what percentage of them are doing full-blown rollouts versus 200 stores worth. I would say that 85% is probably accurate in terms of people doing their first 200 or 1,000 stores out of 7,000 because it, and that's real. Even if you're full-blown adopting, people seem to think or they've forgotten that if you're taking shipment for 100,000 beacons, you're not going to take it on a Tuesday right. and deploy it on a Wednesday. Yeah. There's a certain time frame to roll out if you have 7,000 stores and you're putting, or 3,000 stores and you're putting 80 beacons per, that's not going to be any given week. Yeah. It's going to actually roll over 18 months. And so I do think the adoption rate is in the kind of numbers people are saying. And then people go, well, are they fully rolling out? Well, you can have basically already put the money aside and be fully committed as a top three strategic priority of your retailer. You're going to be rolling out for 18 months, and I challenge anyone to say that Salesforce and Salesforce Automation or payroll systems rolled out any faster. And it's not because it's hardware, it's just it's the rate at which you can basically consume the analytics that you're not producing and do something with it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that you have to deal with is you're essentially taking the world of web analytics and personalization and you're applying it to the physical world, but the physical world has to be ready to deal with it. They don't exactly. suddenly say, oh, we're going to change our business and start it just, it yeah, it takes some time to consume it. And yeah. the, but the, what you just said is that's exactly how we view what we're doing. We're, we're digitizing or webifying the world, the physical world, at least the consumer physical world in our case. And so to me, my analogy is if, you know, if I look at even five years ago, the, uh, and we said digital consumer, we were all still picturing somebody at home in their kitchen looking at a laptop staring at their Facebook feed. And so you're either at home in digital or you're out in the physical world in analog. And um, five years later... You know, cell phones have gotten so good, so fast, so everything they need to be that the human race went back out into the light. So they're still staring at their darn Facebook feed, but now they're at a restaurant or a store while they're doing it, and the percentage of people that are now using their stuff in venue is almost 100%. So the good news is, you know, 51% of all digital engagement is now on a mobile device. Problem is, if you're a marketer, everything went backward or retrograded. Five years ago, you were omniscient. You were God, Right. You had a consumer going to sites, which we'll call websites, and you basically knew everything about them. You knew where they were, how long they were there, what product, what pixel they were looking at, how they got there and what their journey was. You knew their social graph and all their friends. You knew all their favorite sites, and you can tie that back to behavioral and demographic data and target them in real time with information, offers, experiences, whatever. Uh, and it's as easy as moving money around in a mutual fund. We've all been doing that for 15-plus years. It's, it's a very developed science. Then everyone ran outside. Okay, well, if they're kind enough to be standing underneath a satellite, technically three satellites in an open space, you can see in the tens of meters and with other performance issues. And if they're coming inside, you're seeing them come on and off of Wi-Fi or clunky video systems, which are hard to implement, and you're getting maybe back to lagging building level accuracy. 
Um, you do not know at a product level we're looking at. You don't know who the real friends are in the real world. You do not know where they really hang out physically in the real world. And your ability to pull all that back in real time, tie it with other demographic and behavioral data, and then do something actively on their phone a millisecond or 100 milliseconds later has been not really there. So if you're a marketer, half of your ability to get telemetry off of people, web analytics off of people, went away. So I think as an industry, by, by geofencing and beaconing up physical locations, we're making those 200 Macy's or Williams Sonomas or Dunkin' Donuts, whatever, act like 200 web pages. And we're literally just giving back to the marker the exact same web analytics, exact same as they've been seeing for 15 years and can ingest in all the tools and techniques they've been doing the exact same way versus creating some other channel with another measure. Right? That's been the biggest headache of omni-channel. TV, radio, comscore, or whatever, it's all different measures. Just people want the same measure. And that's exactly what we're doing. Web analytics for the physical world and do anything with it that you've been doing in the digital world. Data, experiences, offers. That's, that's a very good uh, analysis. Let's just finish off the discussion about the different verticals. So we've got a picture of where retail is. Yeah. What are the other verticals that I are mean, the in fastest the vertical adoptions have actually been the experiential ones. So if I were to say broadly, hospitality, hoteling, transportation, restaurants, financial services, uh, banks, insurance, credit cards, payments, what we call venues and entertainment, so sports, movie theaters, conferences, all the experiential stuff has actually been the fastest adopting industries by far, and the use cases have been experiential and making mobile apps mobile. Retail is always a little slower, just retail has never been the fastest adopting industry, whether it be barcode scanners or conveyor belts, uh, and that's partly because retail is a thin margin industry compared to some of these others. So I think a lot of people have basically been focused purely on beacon rollout within retail the last two years. And then they've been trying to figure out if beacons have been rolling out in general. And the answer is they've been rolling out like crazy, but the experiential folks have been the fastest. Retail now in 2016 is really starting to pop. But if you looked at everyone that was really doing the rollouts in 14, 15, not pilots, a lot of them were in all these other experiential industries. And that's where we've seen the biggest pop. And so like the proportion of sports arenas that have beacons, what would be your guess? Professional as opposed to college. Yeah. Majority, I mean, I, I'd have to go there, at least for the top four major sports, yeah. 90 plus percent. I can't speak for every single one and every single team. But sure, but that gives us a sense. And then you mentioned financial services, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that number's a lot lower. Yeah, right now I think this year in 2016, it'd probably be fair to say, I know we're personally engaged with eight of the top 10 financial institutions in the country right now. I'm not ready to share names other than uh, Citibank, which has is, is, you know, done some press around one or two use cases. But retail financial services specifically really come on strong here in 2016. It's part of just reimagining the retail banking experience in general, mm-hmm. rethinking ATMs, rethinking branches, rethinking payment solutions. What about healthcare? A lot of money in healthcare and mm-hmm. opportunities to make that more efficient that you're seeing? Yeah, actually, we get approached by all kinds of healthcare use cases. Um, some of them are more asset tracking, which is a little further out. People would like to be able to track that ventilator where it goes around the hospital and know which medical person actually went up and operated it. So we actually get a lot of inquiries around high-value use of, of things that move around in medical things. The other thing that we're seeing, which is happening probably most quickly, though, is engaging with consumers in doctor's offices. So... I'm sure you've started to notice that most doctor's offices today usually have some kind of digital 
you know, TV or signage in that, that waiting room and they're advertising various, you know, uh, things to you, whether it be medications or treatments or things you should be thinking about, depending on which office you're in. Those televisions are dumb to who's in front of them. So by beaconizing those, you now have the ability to know who's in front of that display so you can change the content on that display and also get a better sense of whether people are staying on the regimen and things like that. There's a lot of waiting time <laughs> as we all know, in waiting offices, there's 75,000 doctor's offices out there that have signage in them, uh, as well as many hospitals. And so that's probably the fastest thing we're seeing right now is people trying to improve their ability to provide education or advertisement to healthcare patients while they're hanging out for 45 minutes in the doctor's waiting yeah, room. Rather I, mean, I never thought about the waiting room as being a basis for doing out-of-home advertising, but I sense it is. Yeah. I got a um, couple of things. Uh, so just from the point of view of full disclosure, I used to work at Qualcomm. Gimbal came from Qualcomm. I, I worked at the... Uh, and in a full disclosure, division. I actually didn't know that until a couple of minutes before we <laughs> met. And, uh, you know, Gimbal has been helpful to to me. I've just written this book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beco System, and and, and Gimbal's helped not only with uh, some video footage for promotion of it, and also Ray Rotolo and Dr. Phil Hendricks contributed the chapter on out-of-home advertising. So that's the full disclosure bit. um, So enough about me. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you. I mean, in terms of resume, you've got like the dream resume, went to Princeton, Princeton, right? Uh, Stanford, PhD in engineering, mechanical engineering. What was your PhD in? Uh, I was in robotics, robotics and automation. And uh, so including space and underwater uh, robots. So I, ironically, I was working on indoor navigation 25 years ago, huh. just as part of just you need to have the ability of the robot to see where it's going. So. I have colleagues to this day that are still involved in indoor and outdoor GPS, and we literally were making GPS satellites, we call them pseudoids, mm-hmm. the size of like this phone, mm-hmm. that we were putting indoors and then trying to figure out how to do the math to use GPS indoors uh, 28,000 miles too close to the satellite. I didn't realize there was that, that link there. And then yeah. you were CXO level in Yahoo some years ago. Uh, yeah, so I was, I was SAP, Adobe, Symantec, and then Yahoo, which got me much more into internet and digital media. I was chief customer officer at, at Yahoo. How did you end up at Gimbal? I lost a poker. <laughs> no, all kidding aside, I was looking for the next thing to do. I definitely wanted to do a uh, growth company, and specifically something that's a platform where there's thousands of applications. You know, anytime you're doing, no offense to say payroll software, I'm sure there's a lot of people that enjoy payroll, but when you have something like that, there's one use case, right? And you're just selling it again and again and again, and you're just trying to take market share from a large incumbent. It's really fun when you have something like this, which is more horizontal and platform. We're literally talking about everything from opening ATM doors to like college football to, it's a lot more fun when there's, there's thousands of things over a, a platform. And to me, it was just kind of a no-brainer that, hey, you know, we need to digitize the physical world and bring all of our digital capability to, to the real world. It was just an obviously large market. So I found that very attractive. And yeah, there was a little deja vu all over again that uh, 25 years later, you could do something with a $20 beacon that we used to be like doing PhD stuff on. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. 
So, and you, and you were a McKinsey consultant as well, was that, yes. that right? Yes. So, I'm just thinking you must have kind of walked through the door, or probably before you walked through the door, you started to look at Gimbal, and what was your assessment of, uh, you know, what was your mini SWOT analysis in your head? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, obviously, given the comments I just made, you know, the market space, you know, obviously, is quite large potential, and just the only challenges are just early market adoption as opposed yeah. to full-blown uh, adoption. In terms of, uh, Gimbal, Gimbal's interesting. I, you're so used to in tech looking at companies where the the commercial story, the sales and marketing vision is so far ahead of the technology, and the technology needs to catch up. And with Gimbal, you actually have the op- had the opposite problem, which is all right. This thing was incubated within Qualcomm. The technology is is industrial carrier strength and represents a massive amount of investment over many years and many engineers. And so it was under commercialized. And so that's. Hey, look, if you're looking to jump in on something good, that's a good thing, right? It's like, wow, um, this thing actually could be going even faster, growing even faster. It, it's growing like crazy, but it was all inbound customers that just knew Gimbal and knew the Gimbal brand. You say beacons or geofences, people say Gimbal, and they were calling in, and you're doing these great deals, and you're like, wow, how much faster and better could this thing go if we actually brought real commercial capability to it in, in, in greater scale? So as a consultant, that's kind of what I saw. It was... It was um, uh, under-commercialized compared to the speed it could be going at yet. And how do you commercialize it more? What's the... Well, there's a few things. Um, one thing I'll say, and this is you know partly where I'm, I'm glad for, for what you're doing, is um, as an industry, and I mean this in a nice way, we have not done it nearly the level of thought leadership and education as a lot of other industries typically would do. So there, there really is an opportunity to jump out ahead of the, the marketing world in particular and really help educate in all the different ways that location proximity can, can really help brands connect and enterprise connect with consumers and kind of lead the way. I don't think anyone in the industry has really done a terribly great job of that because we've mostly been smaller companies. And so the, we're leaving it to the customer base to kind of discover, educate, and, and experiment. So there's an opportunity to really do that. The second thing is just we can just be doing a lot more outbound communication in all the usual ways, and then just we just staffing up. We've been growing our sales force like crazy and going out into more and more verticals. It's just obvious ingredients, obvious results. But yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not been anything terribly brilliant. The only thing I'd say that's really maybe interesting is the thought leadership piece, which is, as an industry, we could be doing a lot more. Well, I think one of the things that helps in the industry is when the really big players, and Gimbal's a big player, in, in the beaker system, but if you look at, say, an Apple or a Google, and so mm-hmm. Apple sort of lit the, uh, the rocket, but then they kind of disappear. It's like, where, where's Apple? Do you think they've given up on the ecosystem? Or? Yeah, I literally could not, even if I wanted to, uh, speculate in terms of you know, how Apple's viewing the space. Um, just, I mean, they definitely lit, the, lit the, the fuse to this whole market. And I'm curious to see what their next steps are. Yeah. But I, I don't have any inside baseball in terms of how they're viewing it. But clearly, there's more iBeacon, more open standard iBeacon beacons out there than other open standards out there to this day. Interesting. Yeah, most of our community had been you know, on, on iBeacon. So you look at Google, and it's kind of a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. I imagine, from Gimbal's perspective. On one hand, you've got this behemoth who uh-huh. is suddenly got like five sessions in Google I.O. that have something to do with yeah, yeah, yeah. technology, uh, which is great, but uh, you end up dancing with giants, don't you? Yeah. Kind of, they just well, made the party bigger, but how do you avoid getting squashed by them? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the first two, three quarters is easier than the last quarter, but uh, what you just said, but um, for us, it's awesome, and, and I, for several reasons. First, 
Look, we are still in, in the, the infancy of, of proximity, including beacons. So having large players, including Google, jump in with both feet and just contribute to getting, you know, millions and millions and millions of more beacons out there is, is wonderful, right? Because we basically want this to be something that's in every venue and every experience for a consumer. So it, it's rising tide goodness. It's another great open standard, and they've done a great job with, with Eddie Stone. We are a close partner with, with Google as well as Apple. Our beacons transmit both iBeacon and Eddie Stone as well as the proprietary gimbal packet. So we've adopted them fully as another open standard, and we've been very happy uh, about it. We all benefit, particularly because we're in a market where there's thousands of applications. There is plenty of room in the Internet of Things for a lot of different solution providers over the, that. So it's been very welcome for our point of view to have large players come in. But what I see them doing is, in a sense, they're kind of commodifying the beacon market, which arguably was already a commodity by putting these standards in place. Mm -hmm. They're arguably making it easier to switch from one beacon vendor to the other. And they're also taking one of the things that was Gimbal's real differentiator, which is this secure access to beacons, controlling who accesses what. Do you think people will continue to use the gimbal approach to doing that, or will they switch over and use the, the Google approach with Eddie Stone's own yeah. ephemeral IDs and yeah. all that? Uh, so, several, you had several questions in there. I'll try and hit them all. First, I think at this point it, it's inevitable that in the, the market, I think a few years ago, this whole thing was really just core base stem infrastructure, like hardware and some firmware. I think at this point we've grown up to full solution capabilities, um, and it's just inevitable that as the tide rises, we all have to keep adding to our stack. So for us, there's still an unlimited supply of enterprises that need full solutions over uh, whatever stack that's there. The second thing is a lot of enterprises still have a need for their own proprietary uh, solution uh, and so there's every market you're in the enterprise segment is always going to need proprietary solutions um, but the open standards are extremely helpful for those enterprises that want to avail themselves of it but for torso and tail you know SMB absolutely need those open standards so our experience has been that we are generating more customers as a result of, of their participation than less that's a good thing yeah very good it's a very big market but I mean to answer your question um, we, we are glad to see them actually starting to do more of the encryption and security because our biggest worry has been that people have been deploying open standards and inevitably that is not going to be, that's like having an internet with no protection. <laughs> we think everyone should be moving on to encrypted standards. We have no worries about continuing to innovate and continue to have two, three, four additional features ahead of, of that capability. We just think that we need them all to do that. Well, I think your time is running out. I yeah. could go on for a lot longer, but we'll wrap it up. And we'll end with probably the hardest question that I have on my list of questions, which is, you're going up to the International Space Station. I'm so curious. I saw that you like, gave me this question in advance, and I don't have a good answer yet. <laughs> so, so, well, the question is, uh, what would the three albums be that you took up into space with you? You're, you're up in the International Space Station, and uh, you've got to make some tough choices. Oh, um, only three would be hard. So, um, I don't know that I know the artists. Uh, so, so, I guess I'd say Greatest Heads or Compilation, uh, John Mayer, right. just because uh, I, I play music as well and I kind of do a lot of acoustic and kind of blues and jazz inspired acoustics. So, I just think he's amazing. Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, clearly the greatest uh, blues uh, guitarist or guitarist of all time. 
And then I'd, I'd probably say Jimi Hendrix, who I realize I'm going down a particular vein. <laughs> but uh, pretty much any great uh, acoustic singer-songwriter, you could throw any three of those albums and I'd be pretty happy floating around in space with that. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we'll give you the box set of, uh, from all three of those artists then. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much for spending time. It's been really interesting talking to you. Once again, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey. It's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.